global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we come to you in prayer asking for your guidance and your blessing upon this broadcast. As we open your word, study the prophecies, we do ask for spiritual enlightenment from your Holy Spirit to bring us truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. I'm Scott Ritzmo, your host, continuing our series day by day, walking through the prophecies of the Bible, walking through important truths that the Lord has revealed to us in his word. The series going on is called Unlock Revelation. Tonight's message, The War Behind All Wars. Now, you may be familiar with the dates on this. If you're not familiar with the dates, you're familiar with the events. That would be World War II. It began on September 1, 1939, when Germany invaded Poland. The United States was drawn into the conflict, and a couple years later, on December 7, 1941, a day that will live in infamy. Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. Japanese warplanes left more than 2,400 American servicemen dead, 35, 30, 350 planes, 18 ships, and when one battleship alone went down, it took 1,100 lives. Tragic event. But interestingly, before this all happened, the men stationed at the mobile radar, radar unit actually saw something on the radar that they believed could have been warplanes, and their superiors told them, that's just probably American planes doing exercises. Don't worry about it. So they headed off for breakfast. Eight minutes later, the devastation began, even though they had had this evidence, sufficient evidence, for up to an hour before of the approaching destruction. So you've heard of the calm before the storm. You've heard of, uh, you know, maybe you've been out to Lake Michigan or, or the ocean and you see a mild surf, mild waves that, that seem safe and innocuous, but then... You may be aware of the concept of an undertow, an undercurrent that could literally drag a, even a strong swimmer out to his death. So many times you don't see the danger, but you know there's danger there. Or maybe there's a blip on the radar. Maybe it's the flashing lights of your dashboard in your car and you, you can't see in your engine from the, from the driver's seat, but you know you'd better take some action, do something. Folks, we have those flashing lights. We have those blips on our radar from the Bible. And not about an approaching enemy military. Not about a car breakdown. But about a war that's going on all around us that we can't necessarily see all of the components of. It's a spiritual war, and it's talked about in the book of Revelation. Revelation talks about some pretty ominous sounding things. It talks about the mark of the beast and the antichrist power, the beast power, the dragon, the last plagues, the Armageddon. What is all of this about and why is there such a great and epic struggle presented in the book of Revelation? That's what we're going to explore tonight. And you might really want to know what's going on behind the scenes because if we just go blissfully about our business when there's a squadron of attack planes bearing down upon us, bringing spiritual death and destruction, this is something we want to take up, sit up and take notice about. Now, of course, if you go way back in the Bible to the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. It was a perfect world. He populated it with two perfect people. There was no sin. There was no death. There was no disease, no debt, no depression, no divorce, no deception. This was something to celebrate. And in fact, there were beings in the universe. There were intelligent beings in the universe that did celebrate it. Job 38, verses 4 and 7, it says, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? So God says, I, I, I created this world. Where were you then? And it says, When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Did you know that there were people, beings, uh, stars and sons of God, it says, shouting for joy, singing God's praises when he was creating this world? What a wonderful concept. I mean, he was creating a perfect world. What a thing to celebrate. There was no sin. There was no, no, no rebellion, nothing. Adam and Eve, holy beings. And the morning stars sang for joy. Now, who are these morning stars? The Bible uses symbolic language. What, uh, stars obviously don't sing. So what is this morning stars singing for joy? Turn over to Revelation if you have your Bibles handy. If you don't, tune into this rebroadcast on MP3. 11thHourDispatch.com. You can download the archived news uh, radio broadcast shows, this one being a prophecy theme. In Revelation 1, in verse 16, it pictures Jesus having in his right hand seven stars. Now, if you don't read on, you're just puzzled and it's a mystery. Okay, interesting. He's got seven stars in his hand. What do these stars represent? In verse 20, it tells us. It says, the mystery of the seven stars is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So stars represent, in Bible prophecy, angels. The stars are angels. It says straightforward in the book of Revelation. I just appreciate how much the Bible interprets itself. How you don't have to guess, and you don't have to wonder, and you don't have to speculate and come up with fanciful theories. The Bible itself tells you exactly what things represent, and what it means. It's very clear to understand for any student of the scriptures. Now, when we think of these angels, normally we think of the holy angels in heaven, and we think of heaven as a place of perfect bliss and peace and harmony, and the angels singing praises to God. And, and that is indeed the state of heaven today. But there was a time long ago where there was war in heaven. In Revelation 12 and verse 7, it says, straightforward, and there was war in heaven. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea about this war. This is not angels running around in army fatigues with assault weapons engaging in modern, you know, urban warfare. No, the Greek word here for war is polemos. Polemos is where we get our word polemic from, polemics. Argumentation, disputation, accusation. This is a war of words. Now, of course, Satan was a murderer from the beginning, it says in John 8, verse 44. So had he had the ability to kill the living God, he would have, which is impossible because God is immortal. But there was a war of words. He's a liar and the father of lies, the Bible says. So he told lies about God. He's speaking his native language when he lies, it says in the Bible. So He's waging a polemic war, a disputation in heaven. We'll read more about that in Isaiah 14 in a moment. But in the rest of Revelation 12, verse 7, it says, Michael and his angels fought, and the devil and his angels fought also. And in verse 8, and prevailed not. So we have good news. 
This war in heaven did not go well for Satan and his angels. For the dragon and his angels, it says. And the dragon is identified as, in verse 9, that old serpent, serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. So he's a deceiver. He's the father of lies. And when he lies, he's speaking his native language, Jesus said in John 8, verse 44. It says that his angels and he were cast out and cast down to the earth. Now, what we need to understand here is the timing of this. We think of Revelation and primarily, and which it is, is a book predicting the future from John's day forward. But this picture we're getting is actually an event that took place a long, long, long time ago, long before the time of John even. When John's talking about that old serpent and called the devil and Satan, this rebellion in heaven took place before that because he came to this earth in Genesis 3. So we know that this war that took place in heaven is an ancient war that has been going on for quite some time. And we see also that there are two sides. There's Michael and his angels, and there's the dragon and his angels, and the dragon being Satan as the symbolic picture of of Satan. Of course, Satan is not literally a dragon, and neither is he a little red man with you know, a pitchfork and, and hooves and, and, and horns and a forked tail. These are, you know, modern cartoonish caricatures of a Dark Ages portrayal of Satan that's not biblically accurate at all. But in verse 3 and 4 of Revelation 12, it tells us how many of these angels in heaven actually joined Satan because we just read about Michael and his angels and versus Satan and his angels. It says in verse 3, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. This is Satan. And it says, And his tail threw, drew a third part of the stars of heaven, one third of the angels, and, and did cast them to the earth. So Satan and one third of the angels were, were, had asked to leave heaven. They were, they were expelled. They were removed from heaven because they were waging a war. They were waging a disputation. The father of lies spreading propaganda and lies about God himself, which we'll read about right now in Isaiah 14. In Isaiah 14, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? This is the name for Satan before he was an evil angel. We're reading about Lucifer, son of the morning. So he's fallen. He's the fallen angel. Reading on, it says, How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. We have a rival throne here to the throne of the king, our God. This Lucifer, this created angel, said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. So I'm going to be the ruler over these angels. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Whoa. That is an ambitious, self-oriented climb to the highest position of heaven, even usurping the throne of the Most High. I'm going to rule over all the angels. I will receive their obedience and worship just like God receives worship. 
I will be like the most, not, not like the most high as in I'm going to be like Jesus in character. No, far from it. Jesus in character does the opposite. He doesn't ascend himself. He descends to this earth, takes on human flesh, becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is the character of our Lord. But this usurper, this Lucifer, thought in his heart, I will ascend to the position of the Most High and my throne will be above all the angels. By the way, in Ezekiel 28, it says something very important also about this Lucifer. I've been referring to him as a holy angel before he fell and made this choice to have this thought in his heart of evil and sin and rebellion. Ezekiel 28 says about Lucifer, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day thou wast created. So he's a created angel, and he was perfect. God made him perfect. God didn't make him defective. God didn't give him this evil, rebellious thought. He thought in his own heart, I will ascend, I will sit on the Mount of Assembly, and above all the other stars, I will sit enthroned as the Most High. That was his thought. Reading the rest of the verse, Ezekiel 28, verse 15, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. You've just learned about the origin of evil, rebellion, and sin in the universe. God discovered and found rebellion in this formerly perfect created angel. We'll see where he takes the battle next after the break. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher, and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Martin Lidstrom, neuromarketing executive at Apple, recently revealed that iPhone users have a, quote, relationship with their iPhones. Yes, you heard that right. A relationship. He explained that their brain studies that they did revealed that the love circuits of the brain actually fire when iPhone users are engaged with their beloved device. In his words, people are literally in love with their iPhones. You and your device are the two becoming one flesh at every church I speak at. Folks say the same thing. Scott, why didn't anybody tell us this before? So, folks, grab a pencil and write this down. Media on the Brain. It's a 6-DVD series that will arm you with the vital information on the undeniable effects of entertainment media and how to break free. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior. Precious Redeemer and friend Who would have thought that a lamb Could rescue the souls of men Oh, you rescue the souls of men This is 11th Hour Dispatch. I'm Scott Ritzema, your host. The website is 11thHourDispatch.com, where you can listen to the previous broadcasts, including this prophecy series, a very important series that we are studying through. We usually cover the news. We're focused right now in the state of Michigan at this point on the prophecies presenting these important truths to folks, and I wanted to bring that to the radio airwaves because that is my absolute all-consuming focus right now 
trying to keep up still a bit with what's going on in the news headlines, collecting information on that for future news broadcasts. But back we go to this obsession that Satan has to be in the position of God to receive the worship and adoration of the angels of heaven. This was his great iniquity. He, he, he spread these lies about God as the father of lies, waging a polemic against God, a war against God, a argumentation, a disputation. And he didn't have a whole lot of success in heaven. He was cast out with the one-third of the angels that went with him. So he takes his battle, this war behind all wars, to this earth as a serpent in the tree, He whispers and insinuates to Eve that God is not trustworthy. He says to her, did God really say, you can't really trust God. He's holding out on you. I've got a way better plan for you. He's really restrictive. And he knows that if you eat of this fruit, you're going to know way more than he ever wanted you to know. Following my way, you'll have a much better leader and Lord. Sadly, rebellion and evil, which originated in heaven, comes to this earth. But what is the message that the serpent is giving to Eve? Trust me, give me your loyalty and allegiance rather than God. He wants to be in the position of God. He wants the worship now of human beings. In fact, the whole history of the ancient world, including in many cases the Israelites, God's own people, entering into pagan forms of worship, they're not actually worshiping pagan deities, which don't exist. They are worshiping, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 20, he says, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. He's saying pagan sacrifices are actually sacrificed to the devil. And I don't want you to have fellowship with the devil. So don't be about the pagan ceremonies and worship services. So Satan was receiving worship, wanting to receive worship, loyalty, adoration. He wants to recruit more followers to acknowledge him as the so-called rightful authority of this earth. He even said that to Jesus on the mountain. When he tempted Jesus in Matthew 4, it's also recorded in the book of Luke, he gives Jesus three temptations. Each time Jesus meets the temptation with the words, it is written. And this is also, by the way, how we should meet temptation. When temptation comes our way and we are thinking of doing something we know we shouldn't do or having unholy thoughts, we say, it is written. And quote and claim Bible promises like 1 Corinthians 10, which says that God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but he will always give you the strength to stand up under it and provide a way out. Jesus met the tempter in this way. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Satan came to him and said, turn these stones into bread. He took up on the temple and said, throw, throw yourself down to prove you're the, the son of God. Then he took them, took Jesus at the third temptation for the most climactic moment of his tempting. He said to Jesus, do you see all these kingdoms of the world? They are mine. 
and I will give them to you if you will bow down and worship me. He wants the Son of God, the most important human being who was pre-incarnate as the King of Heaven, the one he was disputing with in Heaven, the one he was making accusations against in Heaven, and he's trying to get him to be subservient to him on this earth. He has an obsession to receive the worship and obedience of all. And of course, Jesus says to him, no, it is written that you shall serve the Lord your God and worship him only. So Jesus gained victory over Satan at that point. And we don't have to fall into this. We're going to inevitably be on Satan's side because we're on this planet. He claims to be the God of this world. He claims to be the prince of the power of the air. And the Bible acknowledges that he has tremendous influence and power on this planet. But ultimately, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And Jesus Christ gained victory in that temptation over Satan. But he's not done trying. Revelation 13 describes the final conflict, the final controversy of earth's history. And in future sessions of this prophecy series, we're going to unveil the very specifics of the substance of this controversy. But right now, I want you to see one thing in Revelation 13. Revelation 13 is like the climax of the book of Revelation 13 and 14, 12, 13, and 14. In verse 1, it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Now, this is the beast power. This is a very important entity that we'll spend time on in the future. This is the Antichrist beast, the Antichrist power. And it says in verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as, as if it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. So the whole world is looking at this beast saying, Wow, he is the best, the top, our adoration and admiration are going to him. But the next verse says, it's not actually the beast that's receiving the worship. In verse four, it says, and they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. So by propping up the beast power as a entity, which we will identify in the future in broadcasts, to receive people's allegiance and loyalty, The dragon, Satan, is actually receiving worship in the last days. You see, it's his obsession. He's been trying to get this since the time of his rebellion in heaven. I want to be in the position of God. I want obedience and allegiance to me, worship to me. And that is kind of what we're looking at in our world today, to be honest with you. When it says the whole world wondered after the beast, how much of our world is actually loyal to Jesus Christ? Jesus said the way to life is narrow. The way to destruction is broad. And we've got every form of secularism and humanism and skepticism. We've got every form of immorality. We've got people spending nine hours a day on entertainment media. Families falling apart. Depression and discouragement are through the roof. And we have nowhere to turn. And the best that this culture offers is pop psychology, prosperity preaching, new age meditation. We say things, oh, I'm a spiritual person. This vague sort of postmodern melding and merging of empty religious sentiments is all that's being offered by the popular culture. What we need is redemption by the shed blood of Jesus Christ to put him back on the throne of our lives because he is the Lord of glory. He is the one that receives our worship. But Satan has most of the world diverted from Jesus Christ. 
and ripe for this final crisis to be actually giving their ultimate allegiance to the beast, to the dragon, to Satan. Because there is only two, there are only two groups. We've got Michael and his angels, Satan and his angels, the sheep and the goats, the narrow road and the broad road. There are not three roads. There are not three groups. There is no neutral territory. Either we will worship Jesus Christ or by default, if we don't, we are sending our allegiance to the enemy. So we see all around us some pretty significant blips on the radar screen. An enemy approaches. He has done tremendous harm on this planet already. We see rape and abuse and violence and infanticide and every form of institutionalized evil that you can imagine. There is a palatable conflict in this world between Christ and Satan for your allegiance, for your worship. That places a decision in our lap. Which side will I take? And I know we sometimes feel so weak. It's like, you know, how, how can I how can I truly be loyal and faithful to Jesus? I mean, there's so many issues I struggle with each day. Folks, think about this sec- a second. There is a war, yes. It's between Christ and Satan, yes. But this is not a war of equals. Lucifer was created. You remember that from Ezekiel 28? He's a created being. He's just an angel. Jesus is the Lord of heaven. He is the eternal, immortal God of heaven, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is infinitely more powerful than Satan. So you plus Jesus versus Satan, give me a break. No contest. So that's some good news. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I'm going to cling to that as my central hope today. So, where do I go from there? John 5, verse 40. Jesus says something very important. He confronts people who feel like they don't have a vibrant life. They're lacking in the abundant life. He says, here's the problem in John 5, verse 40. He says, you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You are not taking the act of the will to come to me, to be on my side, that you might have life. You know, that's that's pretty important message right there because he has said that he is coming back. Have you heard the story of Shackleton's expedition to the to Antarctica? They sailed there. He planned to cross the entire continent by foot. He was very close on the southern continent, to the southern continent, when his ship, the Endurance, became stuck in the ice, jammed there for many months. Ultimately, the ship was destroyed by ice, and he and his men had to evacuate the ship on lifeboats. They made it to an island called Elephant Island, where Shackleton made the decision that he would sail across the roughest seas on the planet to the South Georgia Island in an attempt to get help. He took five men with him. He left 22 men behind on the island. He told them that he would come back, that they were to wait for him and be ready whenever he arrived. The men waited one month. They waited two months. They waited a third month, figuring now, certainly he's dead. He's been tarrying. He's been delaying his coming. After all, he sailed across the most treacherous seas in existence, 
but they knew he would come back. They knew their captain. And when Shackleton returned, after four and a half months, every man was rescued because they trusted him. These men were saved. Folks, Jesus is coming again to take the saved unto him. Are we trusting in him? Are we watching and waiting and praying as Jesus admonished us to do? Are we studying for the truth? Are we coming to him that we may have life as he offers freely and abundantly? To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. This Amish kid, this is a true story, leaves the Amish community for a time and experiences the world. And he goes and he watches his first Western movie. Saw somebody shot in the Western film. And he turned pale and he ran out of the house and he threw up. And we say, what a, what a weirdo. We're the weird ones. We're like the frog in the pot. The heat was turned on real low at first. We were raised with Looney Tunes or whatever, and then it gets a little more violent, a little more inappropriate, a little more immoral, a little more worldly, a little more of Satan's principles, and we're just, ah, it's no big deal. But the Amish kid was thrown into the boiling water, and he jumped out, and he said, that's not entertainment. What are you guys thinking? He had the accurate read on how the human mind is supposed to respond. Brought to you by BeltofTruthMinistries.org.